James says, look, you got to model Christ. Don't make a judgment. Don't discriminate. Don't show favoritism. Don't show partiality. Don't do it. Don't even be tempted to do it. And when you are tempted, flee. Just flee from those lusts that war against the soul. Run in the other direction. Because it will entice, it will lure. We already learned that in James chapter 1. We get deceived, don't we? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Now, Father, as we come before you, and whatever the challenges might be, and perhaps we're, we're nursing a wound, not a physical wound, but a, a wound from the past. God, whatever it might be right now, I pray that we just lay it at the foot of the cross. And God, would you do something right now? Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us right now? Don't allow us to leave this gathering the same. But God, I pray we would leave changed. And so for that to happen, we have to decrease while you increase. And so Holy Spirit, take over. You do the work only you can do. Use this for such a time as this that the time would be redeemed. As these days are perilous, we are in troubling days. But we know you got this. And so as we rest in you, as we cling to you, to that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. God, we pray this in His name, the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, all to Your praise and glory. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you have your Bible open, uh, James 2, uh, looking at 1 through 7 here. And the the sermon titled today is a question, and it's one that fits what's going on in our culture so well right now. It's simply this, and and you got to be honest, uh, don't lie, uh, you want to be truthful. We know, as we say often, that denial is a river in Egypt, but it's not a good game plan to grow in your walk with Christ. And so be honest. I have to be honest as I prepared for this. I want you to be honest right now as you just take the word and wash it over your soul. But here's the question. The title is, do I show partiality? Do I truthfully show partiality? Now answer that honestly. I know it's not easy, especially in our culture today. We're going to see this for what it is. And, and God, I just pray that you would, you would do a work in us, God, as we open the word, as we feast on the word. Uh, that you would get the glory, that you would get the praise. And so God, show us, do we show partiality? Paul Washer had asked some questions, and I came across them this past week, and they're profound and powerful and uh, very penetrating, deep to the marrow of the soul. And, and here are the questions he asked, and, and I want to ask you as well. He asked this, number one, he said, are we committed and contributing members of a local congregation? Just ask yourself that. Are are you committed and are you contributing? Are you engaged? Number two, are we dying to self and laying down our lives? Well, that gets uh, up in our business, doesn't it? Are we dying to self, crucifying the flesh, dying daily, as Paul said, and are we laying down our lives for others? Not me, we. Not me, them. Is that us? How about thirdly? Are we laboring for the edification of the church? Think about that. Are we laboring? Are we working to edify the bride, to lift up the bride of Christ, that she might be spotless? Are we doing that? Is there a process in place that we're consciously doing that? And then lastly, what do we actually do to build up the people of God and advance the cause of Christ among the nation? So what are we doing to actually build up the people of God. What are you doing? What am I doing to build up others? Are we building up others or are we 
so into our own agenda that we're tearing others down? Are we building up others and advancing the cause of Christ among the nations? Are we doing that? So here in James chapter 2, with that lead-in, with those thought-provoking questions and that sermon titled, Do I Show Partiality?, Let's take a look at the Scriptures together. And here's what James chapter 2 says. We finally made it. We went through 27 verses of James 1, and here we are, James chapter 2, 1 through 7 today. And, and the subtitle in my Bible, ESV translation, that was added in later is simply this, the sin of partiality. Now, don't miss that. Very important as we dive into this, the sin of partiality. Here's what the Word says, Holy Spirit speaking through James. Verse 1 of chapter 2, my brothers, again, that's not just male, that's all fellow believers he's talking to. My brothers, show no partiality, don't miss that, as you do what? As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Don't miss those four words, the Lord of glory. Hang on to those for a moment. Now, verses 2 through 7 are going to give us an illustration. Here it is. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, hey, you, you stand over there, or better yet, why don't you sit down at my feet? Have you, don't miss verse 4, have you not then made distinctions, very important, among yourselves, and even become judges with evil thoughts. Wow, that's powerful. Look at verse 5. Here it is. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? But you, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme, don't miss this, who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now go open your Bible for a moment. Look at James 1.27. So just go up there for our context. Remember, context is always king. Never study Scripture and cherry pick the Scriptures. Always look at the context. Otherwise, you're going to miss the true meaning. So go back up to James 1.27. Here's what it says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, here it goes, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Here's the deal. You could sum that up very simply. True religion, true worship is what James is saying. True worship, the external, all that we do, raise hands and, and we sing and we shout and we say amen, all good things, great things that we want. We love excitement. We want to be excited for the Lord. But if we do that and our hearts are far from the Lord, it's all worthless. It's all meaningless. It's all vanity. And we have to have works that back up what we say. So here's the deal. Let's roll into James 2. Let's unpack this together and just tear this apart word by word. Because you've got to remember, as we roll into this, James would not be bringing up this issue unless there was an issue. So he's addressing this issue of partiality because you've got to remember in that early ancient world, there were classes and ranks. There was partiality, just like in our culture today, just like in 2020, that we see it all over the place, all kinds of partiality. It happened back then. And James says, look, True believer, true believer, if you're really in Christ, there can be not a hint of this in your life. So here's what he says in the Word, James 2, verse 1, again, my brothers, all believers, show no, zero, not a nilch, partiality, as you hold, I love this phrase, as you hold the faith, the Christian faith, as you hold it, as you cling to it, as you're tethered to it, as it's your life, as you don't let go of it, hold it in who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't miss this phrase, very important, the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory are just not four extra words that James said, hey, I need some filler to put in here. 
No, these are four potent words because they describe what we call the Shekinah glory of God. They describe it. He could have just said, hey, hold the faith, hold it, which would be awesome. Hold on to it. Every fiber of your being, hang on to this in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would have been great. But he goes a step further because he's driving a point home here. He's saying, look, hold on to this faith, which is anchored in Christ. And oh, by the way, it's all about his Shekinah glory. This Shekinah glory in the Old Testament, if you were to think back for a moment, was all about this, that God's glory came down, was manifested on the earth. And we see examples throughout the Old Testament. As we fast forward to the New Testament, you're thinking, hey, what example are you thinking of? Well, how about the greatest example ever, Jesus? He came to this earth, God incarnate. This is showing His deity. And this early church out of the gate under persecution. They've been dispersed. There's partiality going on. And James is saying, look, here's the deal. If you're really going to be doers of the word and just not hearers, man, it's real easy to show up, sing, pray, fellowship, hear the message and get to the parking lot and totally forget everything that was said and done. No, James says, look, When you're in persecution or out of persecution, it doesn't matter. you got to hold on to this faith. It has to be your life. It has to be the air you breathe. When you get up, when you go to sleep and all the day long, it has to be your all in all. And he says, don't forget that it's all about the glory of God. You know this, this church here, we got a very simple mission statement. We exist for the glory of God to be disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. Glory of God, be a disciple, make disciples. Real simple, very biblical. But everything is under the umbrella of God's glory. When we get out of God's glory, that's where we go off the rails. And James says, don't do that. Don't tinker with it. And the context he's talking about here is partiality. All that was going on in that day is still going on in our day. And we see it going on, especially in our day today, And the church of Jesus Christ must be the ones leading in this. We got to be the ones that say there is going to be no partiality. We're going to live as Christ has called us to live. I made a note here regarding partiality. Here's what it means. No favoritism. Don't exalt someone based on external factors that you are influenced by. Don't miss that. Don't discriminate. Acts 10 tells us this, that God is no respecter of persons. We must follow in that vein. I know it's hard. It's so difficult. We all do this. I'm guilty. You're guilty. We've all done this at some point in the journey, at work, at home, at your business, on your ball team, and yes, even in church, that we see someone that has a position and we want to saddle up next to them because we're really looking to gain an advantage, right? We have ambition. Maybe we're nursing that wound. We're hurt. We're broken. We want affirmation. We want power. We'll fill in the blank. This is what happens in the flesh. We get so easily deceived, so easily off course. We think we're going in the right direction, but now wrong is right and, and right is wrong. And the lines have been blurred. We've crossed the double line in the road, so to speak. We don't know up from down. And James is saying, look, you got to be clear-headed, clear-minded. you got to be renewed by your mind in such a way that as you live this life, here's what hopefully will happen in Christ, that there'll be no hint of partiality. None. Zero. I made a note here as well. I said, remember that in James' day, there was that discrimination, which I talked about. Think about this for a moment. Paul talks about this often, a a Jew, Gentile, a slave-free a rich, poor, we see that right here in this illustration. But there must be no discrimination, none, none. Now, now let me make a note because one of the things going on in our culture right now, and I see it happening already, uh, Satan, he's the master distractor. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. We see him doing this all over the place. He deceives, he blinds. And what happens is this. Now sin gets rationalized. And if you and I lovingly, mercifully, soft tone, godly countenance, go to a brother or sister and say, hey, 
I see there's an error in your life, some sin. Now what we see in our culture is that's now being viewed as discrimination. We will never, listen closely, we will never win someone to the cross of Jesus Christ by endorsing their sin. Won't happen. Now again, we don't beat them over the head with the Bible, but we lovingly go to that person. Actually, the Bible commands us to do that. Matthew 18, that when there's a sinning brother or sister against us, that we go to them. Very, very critical that we speak the truth in love. So don't hear this partiality as some license to everyone just uh, goes berserk and off the rails. That's not what James is talking about. Remember, context is king. And we're going to see the context here in just a moment. We're going to see exactly what James is talking about to make sure we stay on those rails. So write down key number one. I want you to write this down. This is not overly creative, but so important. So here's key number one, just straight from this one verse. James 2, 1. Here's key one. Write it down. As I profess to live a life of faith in Christ, Scripture commands that I show no partiality. Let me say that again. Write it down. You're going to need it. I'm going to need it. As I profess, so there's the outward. There's that outward religion worship, which is good, by the way. We'll want that. But we can profess and it not be real. We can profess and our, our heart can be cold and calloused and rotten. As I profess to live a life of faith in Christ, Scripture commands, don't miss this, Scripture commands. It's not a suggestion, not if you get around to it, not if you feel like it. Scripture commands right here. You say, where do you get this from? Well, look in your Bible right here, James 2, verse 1, we just read it. My brothers, show no partiality. Like none, zero, not a nil. It's not a hint is what he's saying here. It commands. So I want us to think through this because I was processing Galatians chapter 2. And I want you to write that down for a moment. Galatians 2, 6. And this is where Paul has been accepted by the apostles. And listen to what he wrote there. We talked about Acts chapter 10, verse 34, that God is no respecter of persons. Now look what happens here in Galatians 2, verse 6. This is Paul. And Paul didn't care, did he? I mean, shipwrecked, beaten, abandoned by friends, uh, constantly criticized. Everyone went, he caused riots. I mean, if he sent his resume to your church, uh, you'd never hire him, right? I mean, why would you hire this guy? Yet he goes on to write incredible portions of the New Testament, uh, just a sold-out soul winner for the gospel. God used his mess and created a glorious message. And this is what he said to the church in Galatian. Chapter 2, verse 6, he said, And from those who seem to be influential, and then in parentheses, he wrote this, What they were makes no difference to me. In other words, I don't care who you are. I'm obeying God. That's what he's saying. God shows no partiality. But we've heard that before from Acts. And then he added these words. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. That's a freeing statement right there. It is so easy in this life to be under the man-pleasing syndrome. Please him, please her, do this, do that. Doesn't mean you don't obey your employer. Doesn't mean you don't you know, live in that structure that God has created. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about where people are manipulating or we ourselves manipulate ourselves. And we say, hey, I got to get this. I got to get this advantage. So let me saddle up over here. Paul's going, look, I saddle up to one person. His name is Jesus. And that's all I care about is the gospel being advanced. I know you're probably wondering, okay, well, what about an Old Testament example? I'm glad you asked. So write down 1 Samuel 16, 7. We see what Paul thought about this partiality. Let's go Old Testament for a minute here. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And remember the context here. So, so Samuel is grieving over Saul and being rejected as king. And so God tells Samuel, he says, Samuel, he says, look, I, I got a king chosen and I'm going to send you to the house of Jesse. And so he goes to the house of Jesse and you guys know the story. So he goes to the house and hey, uh, who do you got for me? And sure enough, uh, one comes out and and Samuel's impressed, right? It's like, wow, man, this dude doesn't need a resume. Like, this guy's the deal. Here's our king. God's like, no, 
one after another. No, 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 no. Thumbs down, big thumbs down. And what happens? God says, look. He says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. So here's this partiality. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Well, isn't that tempting? I know I'm guilty of this. I am so guilty of this. It's so easy to look at the outward in people. Uh, You meet someone, and, and we do this, we do it, we're all guilty. The moment we meet them, we are at a minimum tempted to judge them, aren't we? Be honest. Well, you meet them and, you know, what they're wearing, what they're driving, where they're living. We make a judgment call, don't we? God says, I'm not concerned with the outward. Because the outward can be a charade. The outward can be phony baloney. The outward can be Humpty Dumpty Christianity, where it's all filler, it's all fluff. God says, no, I'm concerned with the heart. I want to see the heart. I want to see who the person really is. So let's take a look here at the next few verses because we just looked at the command, show no partiality. The Lord of glory, the Shekinah glory is what it's all about. Don't defame it. Don't blaspheme it. And then right here, James now drills down in the following verses. Look in your Bible there for a moment. Let's read it together, this section, this passage. James 2, 2 through 7, he's going to give this example. He's going to show the partiality, the favoritism, the prejudiceness here. And he's going to show what it looks like. And he's going to show the context of where it's happening. Really, if you want to dumb it down, this is just a test of, of two people going into a church house, so to speak, a gathering. Here it is, James 2, 2 through 7. For if a man wearing a gold ring, now pause there for a moment. So in our culture, we call that bling bling, right? We'd say, man, that guy's got all kinds of gold on. And that day, they had all kinds of gold on. I mean, when he says wearing a gold ring, you got to understand this. They, they would wear multiple rings. It was a status symbol. Matter of fact, they would do this. When you study church history, they actually would go rent gold rings. They wanted to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, they want to impress their buddies. And so they would have multiple gold rings. So, so get the picture that James is trying to illustrate. In verse 1, he says, show no partiality. Don't do it. Don't discriminate. Don't do it. Don't show favoritism. Don't do it. Oh, you're not getting it? Let me give you an example. So if a man wears a gold ring, he's that walking jewelry store, so to speak. This guy had some cash, evidently. And fine clothing, comes into your assembly. That's a, it's the word synagogue is how you can translate that, but they met in houses in the earlier day, and so just picture. So here comes into the assembly, that synagogue, that house, that worship celebration, that gathering, that church service, whatever you want to call it. Here comes a guy who's, he's decked out in jewelry, to say the least. And then a poor man. So here's the extreme. And a poor man in shabby clothing, Now, when James says shabby clothing, he's talking about extreme poverty. This is just not a guy who, you know, has a hole in his tough skins, so to speak. Uh, This guy's like poor, like really, really poor. And he's got shabby clothing on. He comes in. Now, look at verse 3. And if you pay attention. now, Now, don't miss this. So we have filthy rich guy, extremely poor guy. And then we got us. And when he says, if you pay attention to the rich guy, it literally means this, to, to completely turn your attention to, to turn your gaze to. And it's easy to do, isn't it? It's easy to do. We see the poor guy, we see the rich guy, and where are we drawn to? That's part of our flesh, isn't it? It's just how we're wired. It's sinful, it's not right, but we, we crave that because perhaps we're not rich and... We think that would solve the problem if we were. So if you, verse 3, pay attention, literally have a high regard for that rich man, 
the one who's wearing the fine clothing, the bling bling. And you say this to him, you say, hey, hey, come here, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, I see you. And perhaps there is that ambition. We see that man come in the church house and go, oh man, I got to get to know this guy. Boy, he owns the, he owns the big business in town. And you know, I, I need to make a big sale and I need to get to know this fella. What are we doing? We're already, see, see we're going to the me monster, to the, to the me planet, to the me universe. What can I get out of this? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Remember the context here. They're they're in a worship gathering. Just think through that for a moment. Just think through that. Just pause. They're in a worship gathering. When you and I, like right now, are worshiping the Lord, the Lord of glory, well, I pray that right now my mind is free. I pray your mind is free. I pray there aren't any distractions. And I pray all we're thinking about is the Lord of glory. Do you see how the enemy works? Do you see this? Even in the worship celebration at church, that flesh is always looking around, isn't it? Hungering, thirsting for something. And we bend and buckle and break thinking, hey, what can I get out of this deal? Because I see the rich dude uh, walking into the church house. Got to be so careful. Because what he says here explains, hey, you look at the rich guy and say, hey, hey, come here. Hey, come here. I got a really good place for you. Yeah. RSVP, VIP seating. You don't need RSVP. It's right here. Come up here. You sit up here. You got to remember in that context. So they're meeting in a home or some sort of a building there. And you look at it and there would be good seats. And then there would be for the lower ranking people that day, how they designed it. Uh, They would sit on the floor, they would stand in the back, uncomfortable. But those, especially the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees loved the good seats. Boy, they thought they were the sauce. They thought they were the deal. I mean, I want the good seats. That's not what the Lord says, though. The rich man in a good place, and then you look at the poor man right there, and you say, hey, you stand over there. You stand over there. I I got a better idea. Why don't you sit down on my feet? It's almost like uh, you know, LeBron James coming into the church house. And can you imagine LeBron James, uh, Michael Jordan back in the day, uh, Tom Brady, whoever it might be, and they walk in your church service, what are you going to do? Well, what are we going to do? Everyone flips out, right? They're going to run back. Hey, how you doing? Everyone's wanting autographs. What do we do when the poor man walks in? Well, what do we do when, when, when the prostitute walks in? What do we do when the person whose life is completely unraveled, it's in shambles, the gossip's all over the town? What do we do when they walk in? Well, I know what we do at times. We don't say, hey, LeBron, you sit here. Often we don't even speak to them, do we? But we ostracize them. Uh, you, mean you, you made your bed, you sleep in it, you're, you're filthy, get away from me. And what they did in that day is, hey, okay, LeBron's up here, he's in the the VIP section, and you, poor person, uh, yeah, you go stand over there. You go stand just over in the corner. I got a better idea. You sit at my feet. Very degrading. Very degrading. You sit at my feet. But then you think about this King of glory, this Lord of glory, Shekinah glory that we've been talking about. And what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Well, John 13, the, the greatest chapter in servant leadership, I believe, and he took that, that towel, he took that, that basin, if you will, of water, and he got down, didn't he? He went low. Uh, he went low to, to show that the king of glory, nothing's beneath him. Think about that, the king of glory, the savior of the world, the savior of those who say, Jesus, here's my life. I no longer want it. I want you to have all the praise, all the glory, all that doxa. You take it. The king of glory gets down. Filthy, dirty in that day and wash his feet. 
minister serves. James says, look, you got to model Christ. Don't make a judgment. Don't discriminate. Don't show favoritism. Don't show partiality. Don't do it. Don't even be tempted to do it. And when you are tempted, flee. Just flee from those lusts that war against the soul. Run in the other direction because it will entice, it will lure. We already learned that in James chapter 1. We get deceived, don't we? James says, don't do that. He says, look, here's the deal, verse 4. You've made then none. Have you then not made a distinction? Have you not then made distinctions? What's that mean? To discriminate among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Think about that. You're condemning viciously. Have you thought about that? When James is saying that you're having those evil thoughts towards that person who is poor versus the rich, we are actually making a judgment and condemning them with vicious evilness. Just picture that. Then he says this, verse 5. He says, listen. So here's the appeal is what he's saying. He says, listen up, listen up. Here's the appeal. My beloved brothers, has not God chosen, selected for himself is what that means, those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Now, I know that's backwards, isn't it? Now, when you look at Scripture and you look at the world, when you look at Scripture and you look how we are wired as humans, this doesn't make any sense. How can poor be rich? It doesn't even make any logical sense. Well, again, man sees one way, the external. God looks at the heart. And as we see this, what James is explaining here, we know very clearly from Scripture that the way that we think and the way that God thinks isn't always the same thing. There are so many often times where God is saying one thing and we're thinking something totally opposite. Matter of fact, we know from Scripture that you win by losing. You live by dying. You give your life away. You die daily. You deny self. You crucify the flesh. That's the life that's victorious in Christ. That's what James is trying to show here and paint this picture of the sin. Now, again, this is sin. Now, this is a sin of discrimination, partiality he's talking about here. Then he goes on and says this, and I love this. He says in verse 6, actually go back up to verse 5 for a minute. He finishes the thought. Those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, don't miss this, which he has promised to those who love him. So there's a promise. He's faithful. He doesn't break his promises. And then all of a sudden he rolls into verse 6 and you could call this an amped up rebuke warning. Warning, warning, warning. Here it is. Verse 6. But you, but you, not your neighbor, not your wife, your husband, your co-worker, your friend, Sunday school teacher, deacon. No, you. It's personal. Remember, James, when he's talking here, all throughout those 27 verses in chapter 1, and now seven more verses in chapter 2, and we're going to see it through all five chapters of James, we're going to see so clearly where James talks over and over, and he's talking directly to me. He's talking directly to you. He's very personal in what so many call this New Testament book of Proverbs. And he says this, he says, but you... Very, very upfront in our business, in our face. But you have dishonored. You have literally insulted. You have despised, is what he's saying there in verse 6, this poor man. And not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Now, pause here for a moment. you got to understand this context. This is the deceitfulness and delusion of sin. We will begin, if we're not careful, to saddle up next to those that we think, woo, we can get an advantage going on here. And in this day, when the rich were somehow dishonored by the poor, they would not put their arm around the poor and go, hey, let's take a walk down to court. They literally would violently grab them and drag them into court. Think about how warped and twisted this is. We're going to watch a rich dude come into the church house, a poor man coming to the church house. We have selfish gain, selfish motive here. We're going to honor the one who's actually not living a gospel example and cast away the one who's living that humble life. Think about how deceived that is. They're oppressing, literally, the word there means to tyrannize. The ones who drag you into court. Now look at verse 7, our final verse. Here it is. Let's wrap this up. Put a beautiful bow on this as we conclude the reading. 
are they not the ones who blaspheme, to defame, to revile, to speak evil of? The honorable name, the worthy, hallowed name by which you were called. Now think about this. So, so James says, look, I'm trying to paint the picture. No partiality, none whatsoever. Verse 1. Got it buttoned up, no wiggle room, there it is. He goes, okay, fine, let me give you an example, verses 2 through 6. And he shows the example, poor, rich, coming into the church house. That's our context. And in verse 7, he says, look, I want to put such a beautiful bow on this that you see it so clearly that you do not want to participate in blaspheming the hallowed, worthy name of the Lord of glory because he's called you. Now, you got to remember in that day when he's saying called to that Jewish culture, here's what he's saying. The illustration is, the picture, so you have a, a wife-to-be and a husband-to-be, and that wife, when she gets married to the husband, even in our culture today with some exception, but typically not, you see the wife and she takes the name, the last name of that husband. She is now in union to him. She is now joined to him. They are now one flesh together. And because of that, James is playing off of that calling, if you will, and saying, look, you're called. When you are called to Christ, you are called just not to raise the hand, say the prayer, do the cartwheel, sign the card. Hey, hocus pocus, no life transformation. I got fire insurance though. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, when you are called, you are giving yourself to Christ. You are falling on his mercy by his blood, by his glory, by his righteousness. And because when you do that, you are now married to Christ. You are literally taking his name. You are now Christian, Christian. You are a little Christ. And he says, look, James says, don't miss that point. You can't have this sin in your church because we all know that any sin allowed into the church, that little bit of leaven will certainly do what? Leaven the whole lump. He says, look, you're called. You're called out of darkness. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a child of the king. You're married to him forever. You are sealed for the day of redemption. Act like a Christian is what he's saying. So key number two, I want you to write this down. Here it is, key number two, write it down. Key number two. When we show partiality, we dishonor God and we deceive ourselves. Let me say that again. Key number two. When we show partiality, we dishonor God and we deceive ourselves. Now God's not looking for a country club Christianity. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for hearts that are real, that are sold out, that are surrendered, that want to advance the gospel, that want to make a difference. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for religion that's external, but hollow on the inside. He's not looking for that. He's looking for a heart that's been transformed. And the only way that can be transformed is by his son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus says. Not a way. Not a truth, not a life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. People say that sounds exclusive. Well, it is. There's only one way to the Father. We don't all just die and, and end up in the Disneyland in the sky. That's not how this works. We're either in for Christ or we're living for the enemy and there's nowhere in between. I do want to make a note here, though. I want to make sure we use wisdom. And remember, context is always king. So our context is those that are coming into the church. Should you be discerning? And should you at times say no to things in your life that aren't good? Don't allow the world right now to say, hey, you know what, because you're not allowing me to do whatever I want, you're discriminating. Now again, going back to our previous point. We stand for truth. We do it lovingly, graciously, mercifully, but we stand for the truth of God's word. We sit under that Shekinah glory. We sit under the truth of God's word. We submit to it joyfully, longingly. We want to obey it. But there are times we need to use wisdom. You have to use wisdom in this life. Not everything we do is going to be a good decision 
And there are going to be times where we do show partiality by saying no. Uh, You go get your car painted and you're looking for a guy to paint your car. You check out the guy to paint your car. Do you take your car to a guy who paints your car on a dirty, dusty road and got his teenage son with a leaf blower blowing leaves all over the car while he's painting it? Of course you don't. If you watched a guy do that, you wouldn't take your car there. That'd be insanity. Of course, you're going to show partiality in that instance. But remember, remember the context. The context here is showing discrimination coming into the church. There can be zero tolerance. There cannot be any tolerance for discrimination, color, race, socioeconomic, any of that for people coming into the church. If they're living in sin, that's a whole different story. Well, we want to speak truth in their life. We will never win them to the cross by endorsing their sin. But racism right now is a big deal. And it doesn't honor the Lord because it's sin. We can show no partiality. Poor, rich, have no partiality for this. None. Zero. Don't tolerate it. It will destroy your life and your family and your home and your business and your ball team. And yes, even your church. One commentator said it like this. I love this. Here's what one commentator said. When we choose people by what we can see on the surface, we miss the mind of God. And then he hits it out of the park when he says this. Remember that Judas appeared to be much better leadership material than Peter. Let me say that again. This is rich and genius. Remember that Judas appeared, appeared, outward, outward, outward warning, appeared to be much better leadership material than Peter. God doesn't care about the resume. He doesn't care about the credentials. He wants the pliable, flexible heart. Here's my heart. You take it, you use it for your glory. So what are a few ways here before we go to our takeaway question? What are a few ways? A few ways in which we do show partiality. Not just rich and poor, that's easy to do. Again, racism, big in our culture today. Can't have it. Zero tolerance. Social status is another one. Physical appearance, right? We do it. I do it. I'm guilty. How about the fear of man? Have you thought about that one? But we're fearful of that person we see, and we've got to please them. But we're showing partiality. We're not living like we should. We should only fear God. Doesn't mean we don't obey. Not what we're saying at all. Don't misconstrue. Don't go to your office tomorrow and, and go off the rails in disobedience. Well, that's what the preacher told me. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We live in joyful submission to those over us. Talking about those who are trying to manipulate, and they're out there. They're all over the place. They're in our families, they're in our homes, and our businesses, and our ball teams, and yes, even in our churches. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are, they exist. And they're trying to manipulate for their own gain. How about this one, though? Selfish motives. I mean, think about key number two again. Let me read it again. When we show partiality, we dishonor God and we deceive ourselves. Again, think through this. So so James goes surgical here. He's taking the scalpel. He's going deep and he's dealing with the motive. Remember, it's all about the motive. What's my motive? What's your motive? And James always says, but you, but me. He's very direct. What's our motive in our hearts? Because he's like, hey, you are in effect, you're worshiping. Here's what you're doing. You're worshiping the people that mistreat you. That's jacked up, isn't it? You're actually worshiping. You're trying to please, trying to follow the ones who are actually mistreating in this example here in James 2, 1 through 7. Selfish motives, though, are big, aren't they? What can I get from this? How can I gain down at the church house? What can I do to advance me, me, me? What did Jesus do, though? Jesus says, I'll treat you well, regardless of how you treat me. Agape love, isn't it? It's agape love. Agape love. Tim Keller said it like this. Great quote. He said this, Tim Keller. He said, how religion works is this. If I obey, then God will love and accept me. This is how the gospel works, Tim Keller says. I'm loved and accepted, therefore I wish to obey. Do you see the difference? 
not trying to gain something based on a heart that's not been transformed, but I'm going to do, do, and do. No, we are loved and accepted. We've given our life to Christ. Therefore, we want to obey. The true believer does not want to live in sin. If you're professing to be a true believer in Christ and there is no conviction as you continually live in sin, I would go check your salvation. I don't know who you got saved to, but I would check it real quick. There will be a conviction in the heart that we don't want to sin. There's a longing to please the King of glory, the Lord of glory, the Shekinah glory. There's a longing for that. So how about our last supporting verses here before we bring this to a conclusion? Write down Luke, Luke chapter 5. Powerful words, Luke 5, 27 through 32. We've heard from Paul, we've heard from James, we've heard from the Old Testament and Samuel, Jesse's house. How about we hear from Jesus? Here's the king of glory himself. Luke 5, 27 through 32, gives an incredible example. This is just so beautiful. This is so rich. He says this in Luke 5, 27. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector. So make a note of that. Uh, Not a particular embraced dude here named Levi. uh, Sitting at the tax booth. And he, Jesus, said to him, follow me. Now, pause there for a moment. So in that culture, when Jesus said, follow me, this wasn't like, hey, if you want to. This wasn't like, uh, think about it. This wasn't like, hey, uh, you know, if you really get around to doing this, hey, we'll consider bringing you into the club. No, this is a deal. When Jesus said, follow me, here's what he was saying. I've had my eye on you. I've been watching you. I've selected you. You come after me. And I love the response here. Look at verse 28 of Luke 5, and leaving everything. So he's a tax collector, and some of these dudes were fairly wealthy. Uh, They had it going on. Yeah, they were living in sin. A little money on the side, a little extortion, a little here and there. They had that going on too. But he left everything. So he said, look, Jesus, you said, follow me. And so I'm going to drop everything and run. I'm leaving and running after you. And leaving everything, he rose, he obeyed, and he followed in total obedience. Now, 29 is so cool. Look at this. Amazing. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. Isn't that cool? So down and outer, ostracized from society, a cheater, sinner, tax collector, says, hey, king of glory is coming to my house. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to make you uh, not a PB&J. I'm not going to give you a fruit roll-up or a fudge round. No, here's the deal, man. We're, we're making a feast. We're making a feast for you, Jesus. And others, it says here, a large company of tax collectors was there, and others reclined at the table with them. They literally had a H&R Block convention going on there. They got Jesus. He's in the house. And then all of a sudden, you know how this, is, how this works. Here's where we're going with this. Verse 30, and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees. Don't you love that phrase? And the Pharisees, and their scribes grumbled. Imagine that. Can you imagine the Pharisees grumbling and complaining, whining, belly aching? At who? The disciples. Not at Jesus, at the disciples. Saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Huh. Looking down their noses, right? Snobbery 101. We're the deal. We're the sauce. We get the best seats in the house. Now, 31 so awesome. doesn't say the disciples answered. It says, and Jesus answered. Isn't that amazing? So Pharisees, they're watching. They're not impressed. They're all about the me monster. They're like, hey, why are you hanging out with scum? Disciples, why are you hanging out with the scum? Jesus steps onto the scene, coming on the scene going, hey, what's going on? Jesus answered them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here Jesus sums up so gloriously James 2, 1 through 7. Have no, I mean zero, have none, zero partiality, discrimination, favoritism in our lives. Can't have it. 
That's why our takeaway question, here it is, takeaway question. What areas in my life is the Holy Spirit revealing that I show partiality? Just ask yourself that right now. Ask yourself, what areas are there that, that you, that I, that we truthfully show partiality? Remember, denial's not a good game plan. You will never, I will never grow in my walk, my sanctification with Christ as I live in denial. What areas are there that I got to confess that you have to confess right now? Because I've learned this. I was thinking about this week. I'm a much greater idol worshiper than I give myself credit for. I am much greater at showing partiality than I care to admit. See, when we're moved by favoritism, we're unmoved by the lostness around us. It's how the enemy works. Squirrel, squirrel. Lostness over here. Gospel needs to be advanced. Me monster over here, got to feed the beast. Jesus says, no, get over here and be moved by the lostness. Don't be unmoved. Be moved by the lostness. How do you do that? You deal with the partiality in your life, the sin of partiality. That's why in conclusion, here it is, our action step. Write it down, action step. I will repent today from showing partiality. Write that down. I will repent today. I will literally no longer walk in this direction towards partiality. I will turn, do a 180, do an about face, and I will not walk. I will flee from it. We must flee from any sin that's trying to ensnare us. James says, show no partiality. Because here's what verse 1 says again. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Father, we come before you today. and God, as we just simply lift up our, our hearts to you, our minds, our souls, God, I pray that, I pray the word has gone forth how you would want it. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart have, have been acceptable to you, to you, my audience of one, my Lord my rock and my redeemer. And God, I pray for everyone that is listening, that is watching right now. God, I pray, would you speak in a powerful way? God, don't allow us to move from this time together being unchanged. God, I pray right now that you're bringing to my mind and, and everyone that's, that's listening and watching right now where we fall short in this, God. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.